Okay, welcome back to RUF. Um, thank you for being here. If you're a first time, if this is your first time to RUF, I want to particularly welcome you. We're glad you're here. Um, it's hard to believe we have come to a close in this semester uh, and come to the end of our study in the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, or you can look on uh, your announcement sheet. As you're turning, I want to, at the end of every semester, I want to do this. Uh, I just want to say thank you to a couple of people. First of all, our large group setup team, uh, who does a lot of uh, work in taking down chairs, cleaning up, but also Brian Hairston. I don't know if Brian's here, but he goes to DocuMart, picks up the handouts that you are holding, and puts them in the pews, and puts out the chairs uh, every Wednesday, and then particularly... Uh, a special thank you uh, to Bowen Thickpin and the worship team. They do an incredible job. Yeah, let's give them a hand. I mean, they, they do awesome. Um, but I know he hates that. But I really, uh, it takes a lot of work um, to pull this off on Wednesday nights. A lot of setup, a lot of time, uh, tearing down, loading speakers, unloading speakers. And so... Very thankful for all of those people and all that they do for RUF. So um, thank you. And also, let me say this. I want to say thank you to you. you got a lot of things you could do with your Wednesday nights. And so thank you for coming to RUF and for being with us uh, as we study the Bible and get to know one another. We're thankful for you as well. So with that in mind, we'll uh, look at Revelation chapter 22. Let me remind you that... You know, we, a few weeks ago, we kind of turned a corner. We were in chapters 12 through 18, and we talked about the dragon and the beast and the prostitute. And if you were here, those were some pretty hard passages. And then we turned a corner a few weeks ago, and we started talking about the future that awaits Christians. And if you remember, we looked at Revelation 19, the great wedding feast of the Lamb. The day that we will go and be with Jesus and actually marry Him, and it will actually be a feast, a wedding, a celebration. And then last week we talked about the new heaven and the new earth, and we really focused on the fact that uh, it's going to be way more physical and material uh, than we think it is. And we looked at that in the Bible and we talked about our bodies and the, what our resurrected bodies would look like and uh, what the heaven, the new heavens and the new earth would be like. Well, tonight uh, it gets even better as we f- look at Revelation chapter 22, the culmination of the whole Bible. And in this passage, we're going to see the image that John gives us is an image of the river of life flowing from the throne of God. So with that in mind, follow along with me as I read. You'll see there, if you have your handout, a couple of different passages that I'll read. I'm going to mainly focus on 22, 1 through 5, but I'll read all of them. Revelation 21, verse 6, this is God's word. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water of life without payment. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And if you have been here this semester, you'll remember that back when we talked about the beast, the beast marked his people on the forehead, but also God marks his people on the forehead. Just connecting the dots so we see that image again of being marked on our forehead. Verse 5, And night will be no more. There will, there will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then later in chapter 22, verse 17, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. This is God's Word. Let me pray and ask Him to help us um, tonight with this passage. Father, uh, we come again. We thank you so much uh, for all that you've done in our midst this semester. We thank you for all of these images that you have shown us through this incredible book, uh, the book of Revelation. And I pray that once again you would come through your spirit and meet us and move us. Would you um, do all the things that you say you do with the word in Second Timothy? Would you correct and teach and rebuke and train and encourage and show us the incredible grace of our Lord Jesus. Would you do these things in his name? Amen. Cynthia Himmel, she wrote a column several years ago in the New York Times. And in the column, she talks about how she had several friends who were celebrities. And she knew these celebrities and actresses and actors before they had made it big, before they were actually celebrities. And she says that before they became famous, they were just regular people like you and I, striving and clawing and doing everything in their power in order to make ends meet, in order to support themselves, waiting for that big break, waiting for the moment when they would finally make it big. And she says that as they were struggling, she says almost to a person, all of them in some way, shape, or form would at one point say, if I can just get the break, if I can just catch a break and make it big, then everything will be okay. Everything will be worth it. I'll finally have everything that I always dreamed of. And she says, then it happened. They made it big. And they got everything they ever wanted, and they became awful, erratic. And they were unhappier than they had ever been before. Listen to what she says, and here's a quote. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. 
You see, they wanted fame. They worked and they pushed and they strived. And the morning after each one of them was made famous, however, they wanted to take an overdose. Because the giant thing that they were striving for, the thing that was going to make everything okay and provide them with all kinds of personal fulfillment, it finally happened. And the next morning they woke up and they were still themselves. You see what she's saying, don't you? They finally got the thing that in their mind they thought would make them happy and it wasn't enough. They longed for more. It reminds me of the quote of the wealthy guy who said he wished that someone would have told him when he made it to the top that there was actually nothing there. And we could sit here tonight and think of countless examples Countless illustrations of this. But we also can look at our own lives tonight and see the same thing playing itself out, can we? Can't we? We get that internship. That internship that we think is going to be the ticket for our future success. Or we get that job that we long to get and we're making the money that we thought we always wanted to make so that we can get all the possessions that we always dreamed of, and then what happens? Well, the job's not so hot. And I could be making more money because I need more things. Or we finally look in the mirror and we lose a couple of pounds and we get in great shape but we look in the mirror and what do we say? Well, I need to lose more pounds. I'm not satisfied. I need to get in better shape. Or we think about that class that everyone has in their major, and I don't know what it is for you, but everyone has that one or two classes in their major that if I can just get that grade, if I can just do well in this class, then everything will be okay. I will be happy. And then we get the grade, and it lasts for about a, a day, and then we start thinking, well, I've got that other class. And not only do I have the other class, but I've got the MCAT, and I've got to get this on the MCAT, because if I don't get this score, then I'm not going to get into medical school. And that's when I'll finally be happy. And it goes on and on and on. Or we finally date the person of our dreams. And on paper we look at it and we're like, yes. And rather than being content, a couple of months in we say, I wonder if there's someone better out there. Or we get that new thing. And the newness wears off very quickly. And we start to say things like, I wish I would have upgraded. Or I wish I would have gotten the 64 gig. Or I wish I would have gotten the car with this feature or that feature. And what we quickly learn when we start working this out is that we're just a bundle of discontentment. Why are we like this? And friends, I'm right there with you. Well, John... In Revelation chapter 22, 
He says the reason that we're like this is because we're thirsty. He says that we're longing for home and we're not home yet. And so we're discontent and we long and we crave for something deeper and something that will satisfy us. And if you look at your announcement sheet, I put this on there for a reason. I was blown away at the focus on, in thirst, on the word thirst in the last couple of chapters and the focus of the river of life and the water in chapter 22. And what's interesting is that really is an image that runs through the entire Bible. God comes to his people and says, you're thirsty. Let me give you a water that will finally satisfy your soul and quench all of your longings in a way that nothing else ever will. And it's interesting that that's the last image in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, we see that same metaphor really culminates at the end of the Bible in this chapter where God is coming to his people and offering thirsty people living water. Look at the chapter, chapter 22. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Revelation chapter 4 and we saw where the water or the sea was stationary. Well, now it's no longer stationary, is it? But we see that the new heavens and new earth comes down out of the sky and a river of living water is literally flowing out of the throne room of God into the city so that the people of God, Christians, those who have trusted in Jesus, can once and for all have their thirst quenched in a very definitive way. It's a very incredible image that John gives us here. Let's look at a couple things. Our story. Secondly, our solution. Let's look at number one, our story. In order for us to make sense of our longings, and I think make sense of what it feels like to be human, we've got to go back to the beginning of our story. We've got to go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Remember, in those early chapters of Genesis... God created everything. He created the earth and He said that it was good. Everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. It's funny, I've been talking about heaven with my girls. I've got four daughters. And we've been talking about heaven since that's kind of what we've been talking about in RUF. And one of the questions that my nine-year-old, who's terrified, like weeping fetal position if a tornado is coming our way. The first question she asks is, Daddy, is there going to be tornadoes in heaven? (laughs) No. There were no tornadoes at the beginning. Everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Creation was good. And then he created human beings, Adam and Eve. And he says, it's very good. And they related to one another with integrity and with honesty. And they cared for creation. And God said, you are stewards of this earth. Go and tend it and take care of it. And so they did. And they did that well. But if that weren't enough to top it all off, they had a perfect relationship with God. I love the verse in the early chapters of Genesis in chapter 2. And it says that he walked with them. God walked with them in the cool of the day. Now think about that. Is that not amazing? 
I mean, could you imagine walking with God, seeing Him face to face, and having perfect community with your friends where you don't lie to one another, you don't compete with one another, you're never lonely, you never feel shame? That's what it was. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's how it all began, but it didn't last because we get to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that Adam and Eve, they didn't want that kind of intimacy with God. And so they rebelled against him and disobeyed him. And in Genesis 3 verse 23, and this is going to be significant later, listen to what he says. The Lord God banished them, threw them out of the garden, and then placed an angel in front of the tree of life to block the way to the tree of life. And the angel had a sword that was flashing back and forth. And so from that point on in the Bible, the world literally, not literally, but in a sense was blown to bits. (laughs) Things were never the same from that point on. Everything was affected by the fall of man and by sin in Genesis chapter 3. And from that point forward, our story can be characterized by one of longing, one of discontentment, one of craving, or one of thirst. Our story can be classified or characterized as a journey back to the Garden of Eden. A journey back to the way things were in the beginning when we were in the presence of our God. And here's what's interesting. When you look at that, our story throughout the Bible, from that point on, God doesn't fault us for having longings. He doesn't fault His people for being thirsty. If you look at The Bible, in fact, if we're honest, every single one of us in this room, skeptic, non-Christian, whoever you are tonight, you have these longings. You have these cravings. And it often plays itself out like this. Have you ever just thought, I know you have probably many times had this thought, something's missing. As good as your family is, you say, as good as my life is, I'm doing great in school. I'm getting married next year. I've got the greatest life ever, but something's not quite right. Something still feels like it's missing. I got everything a person could want, but I still feel discontent. Anybody ever felt that way? Yes. And here's what I want you to hear God doesn't come and bop you on the head and say, get with the program. Stop being discontent. Stop having these feelings of longing for something more. You know what God does? He comes and He says, that's actually normal. But the question I want to ask you is what are you going to do with that thirst? Because that thirst was meant to point you to me. Jeremiah chapter 2, God comes to His people and He says, you have committed two great evils. The first is that you have forsaken me. And listen to how He describes Himself. You have forsaken me, the fountain 
of living water. Secondly, you have dug wells or cisterns for yourselves, broken cisterns that can't hold water. And so my question, what are your broken cisterns? What are the things that you have dug for yourselves that don't hold water? In other words, where are you going to quench your thirst? Are you running to pleasure? The pleasures of this world and feeling your thirst there? Or maybe you're bouncing around from relationship to relationship thinking if I can just get in the right relationship with the right person, life will work for me. Or maybe you're trying to quench your thirst through sucking compliments out of other people. You're a compliment fisher. I know what that's like because I'm one. Where you get around people and you say just the right thing so that you can get a compliment that will keep you going. And the only problem with that is, is what happens next week? You need more compliments from more people in order to keep going. You're thirsty. Well, what about your past? Friends, some of you are absolutely haunted by your past. And as you sit here tonight, you're saying, if only I would have made better decisions my freshman year, or if only I would have done this differently or that differently, then I wouldn't be so thirsty. And I wouldn't have this thirst. No! Friends, you need to hear that, this. A perfect life, a perfect past, will not quench your thirst. Where are you going tonight to quench your thirst? Don't ignore your thirst. Don't ignore that nagging discontentment deep in your soul. It's not abnormal, but it's meant to point you to Jesus. It's meant to remind you that things aren't quite right and that you're not at home and that you were actually made for another world. It's actually meant to point you to this. Revelation chapter 22. The throne room where living water is actually gushing out of it to a place where you will finally be satisfied. And that leads to the second point, our solution. And so we see in Revelation 22 that once we are with Jesus and with God, that all of that nagging discontentment that we feel, that thirst those cravings and longings will be done away with and we will experience full satisfaction and we will no longer be thirsty. How does that happen? Why is that the case? Well, there's two reasons I'm going to point out in the passage. Look at verses 3 and 4. And as we look at these two images, here's what I want you to notice. Notice they take us back to, Revela- or take us back to Genesis chapter 1. They take us back to the very beginning of the Bible. In other words, your story and my story is coming full circle. The story of the Bible 
began in a garden and it's going to end in a city that's going to resemble the garden. I think you'll see what I mean. Look at verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The day that we have always longed for is coming. And it will come. And at that point, God will dwell with His people once again, just as He did way back in the beginning in the garden. He will come and He will live with them. And He will once again walk with us in the cool of the day. And He will look us in the eye and He will wipe away all of the pain and all of the tears from your eyes. And in the presence of God, you will be fully satisfied. And all of that nagging discontentment will go away because you'll be home. Secondly, look at verses 1 and 2. Again, the image takes us back to the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter 2, we are told that right smack in the middle of the garden is a tree. And the tree is called the tree of life. And the next thing we see in Genesis is that there's this huge, massive river flowing through the garden that waters the entire garden. And here in the last chapter of the book of the, of the Bible, the new heavens and new earth come down, the throne room of, of God comes down, and out from it flows the river of life. Sound familiar? Perfect water. And I don't understand all this, but look at um, those chap- uh, verses 1 and 2 again, and here's what's interesting. I don't, again, don't understand it, but notice on both sides of the river that's flowing out of the throne, there it is. The tree of life. And notice... That remember Adam back in Genesis chapter 3 was kicked out of the garden and there was an angel that was guarding with the sword the tree of life. And now in Genesis or in Revelation 22, no more angel guarding the tree of life. It is unguarded. And so we are actually able to get to it. And when we get to it, All the regrets, all the bad memories, all the seeing things that we shouldn't have seen, and doing things that we shouldn't have done, and all of the anger, and all of the tears, and all of the brokenness will be healed. And the life that God intended for you in the beginning will be given back to you. And you might sit here and you might say, how in the world? Jason, how is that possible? That sounds too good to be true. I want that. Look at verse 1. 
Notice it says this water of life flowed from the throne and the Lamb. And we've learned that the Lamb is Jesus Himself. Why is this important? What's well, important because the writer of the book of Revelation is the Apostle John. He also wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, none of the other Gospel writers mention this, but John mentions this in John chapter 19. He says, as Jesus was hanging on a cross and the sun was beating down on him, and as he was dying, taking his last breath, out of the silence came a piercing cry from Jesus. And you know what the cry was? I thirst. And friends, it was not just a physical thirst. It was a spiritual thirst. Because in that moment on the cross, His Father had turned His back on Him and poured out the wrath that you and I deserve for our sin was poured on Him in those moments. It's been said that Jesus experienced cosmic thirst on the cross so that you and I could experience Revelation 22. Jesus experienced cosmic thirst on the cross so that you and I could go to the tree of life. David Ireland... You've heard me mention him before. Um, this is actually a different letter than I'm going to mention uh, tonight in closing. But he, basically, he and his wife became pregnant uh, with a son, and shortly thereafter, he realized he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease and realized that he was going to die before actually meeting his son and getting a chance to raise him. And so he compiled these letters, and it's in a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. And in the letters, he writes to his son and basically tells his son about his mother. And in this one particular letter, he's writing to his son, and he's talking about how much he hates to take a shower. Because his wife has to wash his hair, has to bathe him, and he says perhaps the thing that he hates more than that is those moments when he gets out of the shower and looks into the mirror and has to look at himself. Listen to what he writes. He says, when I see myself, I see my concave chest. I see muscles that have whittled away. I see how my head leans to the right because I am not strong enough to hold it up anymore. And he said, when I see those things, I become disgusted with myself and with how I look. And remember, he's writing to his son and he says, Son, every single time that happens, your mom looks at me and says, Stop it. Stop admiring yourself in the mirror. And he says a few hours will pass and they will be at the dinner table. And he says that she will reach over and grab my hand and look at me and say, you are so handsome. 
In fact, you're the most handsome man that I know, and I love you. And he says, son, because of our shared experience, because of all that she's done for me, and all the things that we've been, been through, I know that she really means it. Looking at the mirror for David Ireland was a painful thing. But it was also the pathway of joy. Because it's as he looked at the mirror, he saw the convincing love of his wife standing right there with him in the midst of his brokenness. As we get to the last chapter of the Bible, that's what John is doing in a sense. He's holding up a mirror. And he wants us to look in it. And as we look in it, John wants us to see our thirst. And he wants us to see our nagging discontentment. And he wants us to see our broken cisterns. And he wants us to see all the things that we're running to in this world to satisfy us, but are in fact wrecking our lives. And he wants us to see those things as painful as they are to see ourselves as we really are. But, you know what John also wants us to see? Remember the book of Revelation. It's given to us to reveal Jesus to us. That's the whole point. And so John not only wants us to see ourselves as we really are, John wants us to see the convincing love of our groom. Jesus. And he wants us to hear Jesus saying, you're so beautiful. In fact, you're the most beautiful person I know and I love you. He wants us to hear Jesus saying, come, dwell with me in a place where things are exactly as they seem. Why in the world would we pass that up? Let's pray.